Well, many church leaders are asking the question of when will church attendance go back to pre-pandemic levels? And uh, there's much being written about it, articles and blog posts and uh, experts have all kinds of opinions. There are some who are saying that uh, churches should not expect to ever go back to pre-pandemic level of attendance, that they should be expecting 60, 70, maybe 80% of what they used to have in attendance before. And it's been interesting to watch churches, to watch our church, to, to watch the people that were here before the pandemic and we haven't seen, and to see people that we didn't know before the pandemic and are here now. Uh, and, and as we watch that, you know, the question or really the reality hits us that technology today has allowed people to access worship services. We live stream our services and we're so thankful for people that watch us online and we're going to continue to do that. But we've also kind of realized during this process that people that have access to our services also have access to a lot better preachers than this one. And they have, oh, thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. I'm going to join Zumba, you know. Uh, and, and, uh, and people have access to great worship services uh, all over the world, really. They can watch a, a church in Nashville, one in New York, Los Angeles, or Australia. And, and so it, it begs the question, if people can access via live stream or YouTube or podcast, greatest, the greatest preachers of our era, the greatest worship service of our era, why should anyone attend a local church? And the other question that we might ask is, is attending church primarily about experiencing good worship music and hearing a good sermon? And perhaps the better question that we could ask is, what does the Bible say about this? Or you might be surprised, or maybe not, to know that the Bible does not have a go-to-church commandment. There is not a commandment that says go to church. In fact, I believe going to church as a phrase, bear with me here, going to church as a phrase uh, is not really a biblical concept. We, we should somehow try to remove it from our Christian vocabulary. And, and before you say, okay, if that's the case, I'm going to leave. Just stay with me for a minute. Because the Bible does have something to say about gathering as believers. So we continue this series that we've called Ignite a couple of Sundays ago, and today we're going to talk about uh, gathering. And I want to invite you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, uh, where our text is found this morning, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And it reads like this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging his readers to not give up meeting together as believers. They had somehow lost that habit. In fact, they had made it a habit not to gather. And the writer of Hebrews is essentially saying, that's not a good habit. You need to change it. 
But notice in his encouragement, in his exhortation, he doesn't say, you need to go to church. No, what he's really implying is, you are the church, so you should gather as the church. You see, and it's a different concept, a different mentality, because going to church makes it about a place, but gathering as a church makes it about a people. And so let's talk about that today briefly. We gather as God's people. Gathering is more than a place, it is a people. Gathering is more than an event. It's about an identity that we affirm. Gathering is more than consuming spiritual services and it's more about a consuming spirit that wants to dwell in our midst and move freely. Gathering is more than just hearing a good sermon. It's about serving a good God. The word that is translated in our Bible's church in the New Testament comes from a Greek word that we could pronounce ekklesia. Ekklesia literally means an assembly or a convocation. It was used in the Greco-Roman world of city-states and as the citizens were called into an assembly to deal with civic matters, it was an ecclesia. And the word became of use to the church. It's a secular civic word that was applied to the church. The church was the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly of the believers, the gathering of those who God had chosen and saved. And so it makes sense. Literally the word church means called out ones, the gathered ones. The, the church in the New Testament was not about a building. The church in the New Testament didn't have a building. It was a people who had been saved, who had been redeemed, who had been called out of darkness, who had been called out of the world into an assembly, a people of God for a special purpose. So the people in the New Testament knew this. We don't go to church. We gather as a church. We, we gather because we've been called out. We gather because we are God's people. We gather because we have a new identity and we affirm our identity when we're together. We gather because we're God's assembly. And we're not changing denominations. I didn't say assemblies of God. I said we're God's assembly. We're God's ecclesia. And something powerful happens when we come together. Something really mysterious and unexplainable happens when God's people meet together. God likes to dwell in the midst of the praises of his people. I remember when my daughter Rachel uh, was a freshman at Baylor and she uh, told us, guys, we're gonna have parent weekend and we, I want you guys to come up. And so my wife had never really been a part of, of that. And so uh, we looked up some game tickets and we realized how expensive they are and how hard they are to get. And we managed to get some. And then we looked at the hotels in Waco and there was no hotels available. And, and so we had to figure out how to get to a, a town that is close by. And finally we went on that weekend we arrived and the whole city of Waco was celebrating. There was gold and green all over the place and, and there was a lot of activities, a lot of parents, a lot of students. And, uh, and then the, the, the 
day of the game came and we parked uh, far away and, and there was a shuttle that took us right in front of the stadium and we got off the shuttle and we had to walk through endless tailgate parties. I mean, there were barbecue pits of all sizes and all kinds, beautiful smells of, uh, you know, fragrance uh, of barbecue and loud music and excitement. Everybody's wearing the colors. And then the most exciting thing for Monica and me was that when we got to the stadium, uh, there was this thing that there's this tradition that Baylor has, it's called the Baylor line. And it's all their freshmen uh, wears this gold jersey with their name on the back and the year of their graduation. And they all line up like a great multitude outside of, of the uh, a stadium. And right before the game begins, they open the gates and they rush the field. And, and Rachel was in that crowd and Monica goes, I can't see her. I said, she's the one in the gold jersey. She says, that's her. And, and they rush in the field and they run all over yelling and they have flags and they're excited. And then they come around the field and they sit on the visitor side, right behind the visitor bench. And they yell the whole game in the most Christian way possible. <laughs> and when you're there, you, you feel this excitement, there's energy in the field. People uh, have this sense of solidarity with the team. They're yelling, they're encouraging, they're, they're, they're pronouncing blessings over the referees. No, not really. Uh, but, but they're doing all kinds of, of things that, that bring excitement uh, around that time. You know, you can watch the game on TV, but it's not the same. You don't have to go to football games to be a college student, but it sure is a lot of fun when you get to go. And when I think about that, I think about the fact that as a church, as a people of God, we have something much better and much greater than a football team to be excited about. We, we have something that is rich and eternal as we gather and as we celebrate. We don't just come to experience team spirit. We come to experience God's Holy Spirit in our midst, changing us from the inside out. In the Old Testament, the glory of God was manifested at, at the temple. People would go to the temple and, and there would be singing and sacrifices. And, and from time to time, God's glory would be manifested, Shekinah glory. And in the New Testament, when, when Jesus comes and, and he's going to offer the, the ultimate sacrifice and he's going to change things up, he's going to replace the temple in Jerusalem with a temple made of living stones. And we the people of God, the redeemed, the, the saved ones are the temple of God. And so the glory of God manifests itself when, when God's people, the living stones come together because we are the temple of God. And his glory wants to manifest in our midst as we seek him with sincere hearts as we gather. First Peter 2.9 reminds us of who we are. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When we gather, we remember who we are and we remember whose we are. We are a chosen people. Do you believe that? We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, us. You and me, if you've been saved, 
If you trusted Christ, you and I are a royal priesthood. We belong to God, his special possession, a treasure possession after his heart. And so we gather to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We gather as God's people. We also gather as God's family. When, when believers gather, there's a vertical dimension to our gathering. We, we, we seek God, we, we, we rejoice in God, and God rejoices in us. We worship him. But there's also a horizontal dimension. We rejoice in being with one another because we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the biblical writer wants to remind his readers of that. They needed a reminder because they had stopped meeting. Verse 25 again, I'll read it. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This is written to first century Jewish believers. In other words, followers of Christ who had come out of Judaism. And for some reason, they had stopped gathering as a church. Maybe there was persecution or, or social pressure. Maybe they thought that they had already arrived at a certain level of spiritual maturity and they didn't need to gather with the other believers. I don't know if you've ever met people who say, oh, I don't go to Bible study because there's nothing they can teach me that is new. I've already, uh, I already know the Bible. I, I can't learn anymore. Maybe some of them felt that superiority. Some of them had thought about reverting back to Judaism and that's part of what the writer of Hebrews deals with in the, in the larger context is, is this believers are saying, maybe we should go back to the synagogue and, and to keep in the laws of the Old Testament. Whatever the case may have been, they didn't seem to value the gathering with other Christ followers. It, it, they could relate to God on their own. If they could follow their own way of, of faith, then why bother gathering with other believers? You know, when the church was initially started back in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the, the, the people of God, the, the, the believers gathered at the Jewish temple that was still standing at that moment. And then they gathered in their homes for fellowship. Someone has said that they gathered by the thousands at the temple and they gathered by the dozens in their homes. At the temple, they, they praised God and they prayed and they sang. And then in the homes, they broke bread and they encouraged one another. Acts 2.46 says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What an exciting time that must have been to be part of the church when it was first born, when it was first started, to be part of over 3,000 believers who would gather at the temple courts. Boy, that, they made their presence known and they would sing and pray and miracles would happen and the favor of God was on them. And then they would break down into small groups and they would go into the homes and, and they would break bread and they would uh, listen to the teaching of the apostles and they would be encouraged but somehow by the time we get to this letter, these believers had stopped gathering. Maybe they felt they had already learned enough. And the writer reminds them, listen, one of the reasons why we gather is to encourage one another. This is not, the church is not a retail establishment where you say, oh, I already have plenty of that. 
The, the church is not an entertainment venue where, where you go to see how good the show is going to be. The, the church is not a dispenser of spiritual goods. The church is a family. And we come together, we encourage one another. Life out in the world is, is tough. I don't have to tell you that. The devil is constantly trying to trip us and discourage us and distract us. And we need to be encouraged. We need each other. When I gather with you as a church, not only do I get the privilege of, of talking to you about God's word, but I am encouraged by you. I see the, the brother who's been texting me all week because he's battling depression and he's sitting in church with his Bible saying, I'm battling depression, but I'm here. I, I see the senior adult couple who are both diagnosed with cancer and, and they're going to MD Anderson for treatment, and, but, but when they're in town, they're here. They're saying, we're trusting God. I see the couple that's struggling with their marriage and they're seeking counseling, uh, but, but they're here because they want God to do something in their marriage and, and, and they sing and they shed tears and they trust God. And when I see them, I'm encouraged. When I see you, I'm encouraged. Whether you're living in victory, that brings me joy. Whether you're struggling, that encourages me because it reminds us that the struggle is real for all of us, but so is the family of God. We are a family and we need to encourage one another. We need to be together and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? It's not Labor Day. It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas. That's not the day they were waiting for. They're waiting for the day when Jesus will appear. The day when he will make everything right. The day when we will be gathered again. You know that what we're looking for at the end of the age, it's not to get iPods, but to be gathered as the people of God, to be together. Old song by Philip Dean talked about the concert of the age. He said, at the concert of the age, the great I am takes center stage. The generations stand amazed at the concert of the age. We cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, with every note he plays as we see the day approaching, when that day arrives, there will be a great gathering, a great reunion. And today we gather in anticipation of that day. We're gonna have communion in a few moments. And, and you know, we get this little cup, it's got a little juice and a little bread. It's almost very small. I, I kind of lament that sometimes. But I remember that what we're anticipating, it's a great wedding feast where there's gonna be bread and wine and a celebration. We'll be all gathered at the same table. I don't know how that's gonna happen, but Jesus himself will break bread in front of us and we'll celebrate the wedding of the lamb. That's our anticipation. And when we gather, we encourage one another. See, we don't go to church. We gather as a church. We gather as God's family. I read Tony Evans said something a couple of weeks ago. He said, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. You also don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. That's right. Church doesn't make you a Christian. Church doesn't save you. But it helps you in that relationship with the Lord. It helps us to be encouraged 
by one another. And then third and final, God gather as God's agents. Our gathering has a purpose, yes. We gather to glorify God. We gather to experience his mysterious presence and power in our midst. We gather to, to remember who we are. We gather to encourage one another. But we also gather as God's agents. The writer of Hebrews reminds his readers of the confidence that they can have in Christ. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, you'll know that the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus offered the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. After that sacrifice that he offered on the cross of Calvary, there is no more sacrificial system needed, no more temple, no more altar needed because the ultimate sacrifice has already been offered. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, now we can enter the holy place, the holiest of places. We can enter in the holy presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's our high priest. We don't need a human priest anymore. We don't need anybody as a middleman or middlewoman. We can go straight to the high priest who is Jesus Christ and he takes us right into the presence of God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying to the believers, listen, we have a great thing. We have a great salvation. It's not a small thing. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's make something about it. We don't have to worry about getting ourselves saved, but we should worry about getting other people into the kingdom. So we gather to celebrate our salvation so that we can share that salvation with others. We gather to be God's agents. And that's why he says here, spur one another toward love and good deeds. Spur one another toward love and good deeds. When we gather, we, we, we prod, we, we poke each other. We say, are you loving like God wants you to love? Are you serving like God wants you to serve? Come on. We can't stay still. We can't just remain sitting down. We, we've got to love people. We've got to serve people. We've got to shine the light in the world. We've got to be salt of the earth. We've got to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. The nature of salvation is that Christ gave himself selflessly for us. That's what communion is about. We're going to celebrate a sacrifice of someone who didn't care about himself, but instead gave himself for others. And what it ought to cause in us as believers is that when we gather, we don't make it about ourselves, but we make it about others. We selflessly give ourselves to the Lord and say, God, use me to be a blessing to others. Selfless spirituality is foreign to the gospel. Individualistic Christianity, Lone Ranger Christianity is not consistent with the Bible. That's why church can never be about me and what I want and how I like it and what I prefer. Church has to be about one another. Church has to be about what the world needs. We are here today for those that are not here yet. We don't go to church. We gather as a church so that we can spur one another toward love and good deeds. We gather as God's agents. You know, a couple of people that came out of Calvary, uh, Amin Calvo and Jose Luis Jimenez, go to the Amazon every year to follow up on work that is being done there. And they were there a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, 
and they sent us a report. I want you to hear from Amin uh, his report, and hopefully you'll rejoice with me as you listen. As a result, we have a 16 salvation, and as a result of this training, one of the pastors went to his uh, community where he lived, and he baptized uh, seven. He, he, he teach how to baptize other seven people. Thanks to the Lord. Also, we want to, uh, uh, some important thing of this mission trip was Lisandro and Veronica. Lisandro and Veronica, we met here for the first time in 2017. We shared one verse and the, the word of God touched his, his, heart, his heart and he repented and believed. And then in the second year, her wife, Veronica, also have a commitment to, to Christ and he wanted to baptize. So we, we baptized them. And after these days and in, the, in this training, they went to the training because they wanted to be the leaders of this uh, the village called Villandrea. In Villandrea, there is no church, there is no um, any religion uh, leader, but we pray for them that God use their life in a powerful way. Powerful way. And we pray also because they wanted to get married. So soon we will have a, a marriage and they are going to be the leaders. Also, Anderson is a, a, another couple that we went in the first mission trip. We met them. They already are, are, are Christian. And we trained them during the pandemic. And now they went to the, to the training and they are going to uh, some place in the Amazon to be a missionary. Uh, as well, uh, Anderson trained uh, this uh, sister, Kelly is, is her name, and she's going to uh, Brazil to do some training for the 411. And this is some of the pictures that we have. We have a, a great time. As a result, we have a total 25 salvation, seven baptism, and 30 people who were baptized for different community. Some of you may know that I mean, when he first came to Calvary, he was, was far away from God, struggling with addiction. And, and he came to Christ here at Calvary. We baptized him. We, we, we've sent him out and, and he goes out and shares what Christ did in his life with other people. Like Jose Luis Jimenez is one of our deacons and, and, and they train them to share with others who will train them to share with others. So the results of this trip have been incredible. But what's even more amazing is they've been back for about three weeks and they have this WhatsApp uh, chat with the people back in the Amazon and they say, okay, we baptized some more today. Okay, we've baptized some more today. Every week they're baptizing more people. That was not an evangelism trip. It was a disciple making trip. They made disciples who are making disciples. And Amin and Jose Luis gather here, but they understand that they gather here because they're God's agents. They gather so they can go. And the people in the Amazon gather and grow so that they can go. That's what we're talking about here at Calvary. I, I talked to you about this strategy last Sunday, our Ignite Sunday. And, and we said to you that the core of our strategy is the great commission and the great commandment. And there's a gospel and there's guide. But, but the three things that we want to make sure all of our people do is gather, as we're gathering here in worship today, grow in small groups, and then go and be God's agent in the world that needs it so much. We gather and we grow so that we can go. We have five expressions of, of gathering here at Calvary. Uh, one is probably best for you and you probably, you're here already, 
there's our 9.30 service, it's classic. Our 11 o'clock service is contemporary. Our 12.30 service is in Spanish. And then during the time that we're here, our children are having children's worship in the children's building. And on Tuesday night, we have young adults that gather for worship, about 60 of them every Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, we have students who gather for remedy and worship. And God is doing something in our midst, and we're so thankful for that. The gathering of believers is very, very important. It talks about perseverance and about encouragement and about waiting for the Lord's return. You know, today, there are people in other parts of the world who are paying a high price, who are taking a big risk to gather with other believers. And as we gather today, we gather in solidarity with believers in Afghanistan, in Cuba, in South America, in Europe, in Asia, and other parts of the world. Because we're anticipated that one day we will all be together. John tells us so, that at the end of the age, there will be before the throne of God a multitude that no one can count of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation and we will gather and we will sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And until that day, we're gonna keep gathering to celebrate the great salvation we have. Would you stand with me? As we bow our heads and as we pray, think about your response. Perhaps your response today is to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. You've never experienced forgiveness, but today you are ready to trust him and to give your life over to him. You want to anticipate his return and rely on his power every day. So give your life to him right now. By faith, trust him as Savior and Lord. Maybe your commitment today is to follow him in believer's baptism. If you've not taken that step, maybe today say, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be obedient. Next Sunday, we have Baptismal Sunday. You want to sign up for that. You can do it in our app. You can come talk to us at the Connecting Point. Maybe you're watching online and you've been wondering when you should return to in-person services. I'm glad we have live streaming people who, for health reasons, or distance cannot be here, can gather with us digitally, virtually. We're thankful for that. But if you're able to come and be a part, then maybe today's the day you say, I'm gonna be there next week. Or maybe you're in another state, another country, and you're watching us, but you need to find other believers in, in your neighborhood or in your hometown that you can gather with also. Whatever your commitment needs to be today, say yes to the Lord. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering. You made that possible when you went to the cross and you died for our sins. You rose from the dead and you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Today, we thank you for this gift, for this privilege. Affirm our commitment to gather receive our giving as we give online or in person bless the offering 
that he may be used to further your kingdom and prepare our hearts for communion. May we be thankful and may we be willing to serve you selflessly, to serve one another, to be agents of redemption to a broken world. In Jesus' name. As we sing, you respond, you prepare your heart for communion.